Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of five end-time political agendas. Now let me say right up front, I am not a political person. I have no faith on either side of the aisle. I've watched them over the past number of years act like petulant children, and I have no faith in their ability to solve our problems. My faith is not in the White House. My faith is in the church house. My faith is not in any dignitary anywhere in the world. My faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and my faith is in the content of God's eternal word. But it may surprise you to know that in Bible prophecy, the Scripture very clearly addressed specific political agendas that would be obvious to the signs of the times that would help us to know we are living in the end times. People ask me that question all the time. Do you think we're living in the end times? The answer to that is absolutely. We are living in the end times. I was on a plane some time ago, and the man sitting next to me looked well into his 80s. May have been 90. I don't know. But he was an older man, very sharp, businessman, still running his own business, in conversation when he found out I was a minister and an evangelist and that I had an interest in Bible prophecy, he began to ask me specific questions, although he said with his own mouth, I'm not a very religious person, but I don't throw out the possibility that Bible prophecy may speak to the day in which we live. Here's the question that he asked me in the conversation. He said, do you think that if Jesus Christ is going to return, do you think it'll happen in the next 20 years or 30 years or 40 years? What is your best answer on that? I said, sir, as we've been talking on this plane, he could come for you before we land at the terminal. You shouldn't be worrying about whether he's coming in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. He could be coming for you in 20 minutes. And many people live with the mentality of tell me how long I have because I want to live my life and then make peace with God at the last moment. Let me help you with something. You don't get saved or you don't make peace with God based upon your schedule. You cannot put your day of salvation into your planner or into your iPhone and decide when you're going to come to Christ. I had a young man that wrote me recently and he made it clear that he had found us on YouTube and he had been binge watching all of our preaching and our teaching. He said, I've invited my mother and my family and now we sit on a couch and we listen to your preaching and teaching all the time. He said, my birthday is at the end of the month and we've decided on my birthday we're going to pray the sinner's prayer with you and become followers of Jesus Christ. What do you think? I wrote him back. I said, I think it's a great idea, but what if Jesus comes the week before your birthday? 
The Bible said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of your salvation. So I want to be very clear as I begin tonight. I'm not here to lecture on eschatology. I'm not here to give you an academic perspective on the political agendas in the world according to Bible prophecy. I am going to unpackage that for you, but I am here, reason number one is I want you to be ready to meet the Lord. I want you to make peace with God, and then as you understand what I'm preaching and teaching tonight, you will have a comfort that perhaps you've never had before because you're going to find out before the evening is over that God is in control. Man is not in control. Politics are not in control. Liberals are not in control. Conservatives are not in control. Nations of the world rising to power quickly are not in control. As we used to sing in Sunday school many years ago, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I say it again, the world is not falling apart. The world is falling into prophetic place and tonight, you're going to have a better understanding of that. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. By the way, if you're a brand new Christian, the beast in verses 1, 2, and 3 is the Antichrist. I'll come back to that. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion and the dragon. Now let me pause again. The dragon referred to here in verse 2 is none other than Satan. And throughout the book of Revelation, when you see the word dragon, it refers to Satan or Lucifer. And it goes on to say, And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. So pause again. In the last days, the Antichrist is going to arise as a political figure and the world will receive him as that one world leader. But the Bible makes it clear that his authority and his promotion and his power comes from Satan himself. Verse 3, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed? Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority, rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the one whose names are not written in the book of life before the world was made, 
the book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. Speaking of Christ, verse 9. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Now pause again. This second beast is the false prophet. Thus, in Revelation 13, we now have the completion of what is called the unholy trinity. And so if you're taking notes, don't miss this. For the very first time in all of the Scripture, Revelation 13 reveals the unholy trinity for all to see. And who make up the unholy trinity? The Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. Everything that Satan does is a replication of what God has already done, and may I add, done better. Even the mark of the beast is not original. The very first mark in the book of Revelation is placed upon the heads of the 144,000. I don't have time to preach on that tonight, but the 144,000 are 12,000 Jews from all 12 tribes making up 144,000. They become evangelists. 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be raised up by God during the tribulation to preach the gospel. And the Bible tells us that God will put a mark on their heads. We don't know exactly what it is because the Scripture does not definitively tell us. All we know is whatever that mark is protects them from persecution and harm. And no one can stop their mission. And it's a wonderful mission. Even the gospel of Christ will be preached during the tribulation. When the world is suffering under the apocalyptic events of the tribulation and the great tribulation, God still in mercy is going to make a way of escape for all who receive the cross of Christ and the shed blood and the Savior himself who will reveal himself at the end of the tribulation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and it will come to pass. Verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all of the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. 
Pay careful attention to verse 16. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I took the time to read all 18 verses from that chapter because in those 18 verses, I'm going to walk you through and reveal from those exact verses the five political agendas that are rising in the earth today, and they're not fully mature yet. But once you understand the five political agendas, and you'll be able to see that they're alive and well in our own nation now, and in other nations of the world, and moving towards the fulfillment of Revelation 13, you will forever have a different perspective as to what's going on in the world. You will no longer watch the news after tonight if you're a believer and feel depressed or discouraged or wonder what's going to happen to America or will things ever be normal again or what does tomorrow hold. You're going to know exactly according to Bible prophecy what's coming next and you're going to know that in the end, we as the children of God are victorious. We are not defeated. We are not discouraged. We are not depressed. We're going out of this with the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our lips and knowing beyond all doubt that Christ is Lord of all. Let's take a moment to pray before we unfold these five agendas. Father, in the name of Jesus... We never open up the Bible without an awareness of our total dependence upon you. I humble my heart before not only this great audience, I humble my heart before your holy presence. And I have no gift and no ability outside of what you allow me to have. And so I humbly ask you that by the Holy Spirit that you would enlighten my mind and quicken my body and spirit and allow me to make this clear. I pray that even the children who are listening will be able to grasp these truths and know that everything's going to be okay because God has a divine plan in all of the chaos that's surrounding our world. And so we give you praise. Now, Father, as I asked you earlier in the day, I ask you again, don't let one person who hears me preach miss eternity's morning. Don't let one person who hears me preach miss the rapture. May they never have to face the fulfillment of these five agendas that are soon to be fulfilled. Keep us all ready for the next great prophetic event, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory now, I ask you to prepare hearts because there are some that are listening, those that are present, those that are watching online, those who will listen to this all around the world who have never made peace with God. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And I pray that you would even now begin to work in their hearts to give them faith and strength and courage 
so that when I extend the invitation to receive Christ in the moments to come, that they'll be able to say yes and turn from sin and turn to Christ while there is yet time. And for all things, we shall be careful to give you praise, for you alone are worthy. And all God's people said a big amen. The two beasts that are described in Revelation 13 that I read to you, one from the sea and one from the land, the first beast out of the sea, the one who claims to be a peacemaker, the Bible says that he'll be riding a white horse and he'll come as a source of great darkness into this world. He does not come to save the world, but to damn the world, which it seems like most politicians have that natural gift without a whole lot of training. But he will encapsulate it like none before. In Revelation 13, as I've already made clear to you, the first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. Both are a product of and empowered by the dragon, the Bible says the old serpent, whom is the devil or Satan. I want you to remember that because understanding the book of Revelation, that is something fundamental that you must never forget. The unholy trinity of the book of Revelation is the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. Now, noteworthy, a significant prophetic unveiling takes place here that shows us this. But the focus is not just upon the unholy trinity, but the five political agendas that they establish in the world today. For sake of time, I want to get right into it. The first political agenda of final Bible prophecy, number one, is there is coming a one world leader. Now, time will not permit me to preach on the entire book of Revelation, but I know that there are many people who find us on social media who have never heard one message from the Bible. I just recently received a message from a man from a Muslim nation, and in his email to me, he said this, What is a Bible? And he spelled it B-I-B-A-L. What is a Bible? You keep mentioning in your teaching a Bible, but I don't know what that is. Can you explain that to me? It was a bit of a wake-up call for me as an evangelist because I have always done my best to try to take into account that people who are listening to me may know little to nothing about the Bible. But it reminded me that in our modern audience of social media, a lot of people not only don't know the Bible and its content, they don't even know what a Bible is. This is the word of the living God. This is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. All other world religions have sacred writings and books and things that contain their views and their perspectives. But did you know that the Bible is the only book that claims to be the Word of God? 3,800 plus times in the pages of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, 3,800 plus times 
It claims to be the voice and the words and the will of Almighty God. No other sacred writing from any other religion makes that claim the Bible alone. The Bible is not a book. It is a compilation of 66 books. 39 books in the Old Covenant, 27 books in the New Covenant, written over a period of about 1,500 years by approximately 40 authors in Hebrew, in Greek, and Aramaic from original manuscripts. We have access to those original manuscripts and so modern Bibles that we have, if they're put into the hands of proper translation committees, the Bible is as accurate today as it was when holy men of old penned it by the breathing of the Holy Spirit. Some people in universities say even if the Bible were the Word of God, it has been interpreted so many times that it cannot remain accurate. As if people who translate the Bible take last year's copy and write this year's copy. All true academic translation teams go back to the original manuscripts and the Bible is accurate. Also, the Bible is about 28% prophetic content. Some would say that the Bible is almost one-third prophecy. That's a little generous. It's closer to 28% prophetic content. But the Bible has about 2,500 Bible prophecies, over 2,000 of which have already come to pass with complete and total accuracy. The Bible is provable scientifically. The Bible is provable through biblical archaeology. The Bible is provable through manuscript evidence. The Bible is provable through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is provable through prophetic content because of the thousands of prophecies that are contained in its pages, not one has ever missed not even a comma. Bible prophecy, even the critics of the scripture have said this in their analysis. One leading professor from Oxford said the Bible is so accurate prophetically it is history written before it takes place. Now here's something amazing. The book of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible, was written around 95 or 96 A.D. There was question for some years by scholars as to what the exact writing date was for the book of Revelation, but all of the evidence that we have in this modern era has nailed it down, and it's important. 95, 96 A.D., the book of Revelation was written. Now stop and think for a moment. The author in 95 or 96 A.D. carefully spoke of political agendas that were not possible in his era or in any civilization up to that era. Let's take a look at them. Number one, a one-world leader. Look at verses 7 and 8. Revelation 13, 7 and 8, authority was given it over every tribe people, language, and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was 
slain. Highlight in your Bible, authority was given to this one world leader over every tribe, every people, every language, every nation, and all who dwell on the earth. The author of the book of Revelation, his name was John. He had been placed onto an island of punishment called Patmos. The island of Patmos is just off of the coast of modern-day Turkey. They had actually tried to kill this apostle John. They boiled him in oil alive. But after bringing him up out of the boiling oil, though severely scarred and disfigured, he was not dead. And so he must have been quite the sight as now a walking prophet. You talk about a zombie apocalypse. Can you imagine bumping into the Apostle John at Walmart in aisle three? And for him to write what he wrote, he must have been an icon in that era. But he began to write, and he made it so clear that there's no wiggle room in academia to explain it any other way. He said, this one world leader, how do we know it's a one world leader? Because he'll have authority over every tribe, all people, all languages, all nations, all who dwell on the earth. Five categorical descriptions are given in one sentence so that all future readers would know beyond any doubt this Antichrist, one world leader, will be global. Can I pause long enough to say and this is not news, it's just clarification for everyone with an IQ above room temperature. But every single person knows, whether you're a believer or not, that the world's current political temperature is global. All nations of the world are seeking for global unity. And they hate the fact that America has been the predominant military economic strength in the world for so long. Much of the world hates the fact that America fights for justice. America goes in to help the oppressed. Now in recent years, I know that not all of our chapters in American history are pure. I understand that some political decisions are done in back rooms and they may look good on paper, but they're done with evil intentions. I'm not in any way justifying every decision in American history. But I will tell you that the nation of Israel, who is the apple of God's eye in prophecy, has never had a greater friend than the nation of America. When they became a nation on May 14th, 1948, and after England had signed their paperwork, the very first nation to recognize the statehood of Israel 11 minutes before the ink was dry on British paperwork was the United States of America. And the Bible says those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. One of the reasons why America is in such a severe decline is because current political powers are anti-Semitic. 
The removal of our power and our military from Afghanistan is more than an Afghanistan problem. It is an Israel problem. Because from Kabul, Afghanistan to Jerusalem, Israel is about a thousand miles. And our former military and aircrafts and jets and warplanes that sat in Kabul could have been there in a brief amount of time. It was a source of protection in the Middle East to guard Israel's back. And so not only have we taken the safeguard in their protection out of that part of the world, just days ago that administration defunded their barrier of technology called the Iron Dome that protects the state of Israel. Israel is only about the size of the state of Connecticut and it is surrounded by Islamic nations who have vowed to wipe them from the face of the globe. And we just days ago defunded the Iron Curtain. Over a thousand rockets a day on average are fired into the little nation of Israel by her opponents. And you had better pray because if America removes her support totally from Israel, we are in hell and a handbasket with no possibility of turning around because the Bible prophesied those that bless Israel shall be blessed and those that curse Israel shall be cursed. If you don't think it's true, study history. Ask the Germans. Based on this passage and others, the Bible foretells a soon arrival of a one-world leader. I'll say this, and I don't offer my opinion, but through scholarship, and if I had time and I don't, I could prove it to you, but I believe the Antichrist is alive and well. I believe he's already somewhere carefully positioned in this world in the dark shadows of either political, financial, or religious power. But listen carefully when I tell you this. He will not be revealed until after the rapture. Paul taught us that in the letters to the church at Thessalonica. That there is a power that hinders the unveiling of this Antichrist, this lawless one. And the Bible said he will remain a mystery until the removal of the hindering power. And to save you a little theological time, the hindering power in the world is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the church is raptured, then and only then can the Antichrist be revealed. Cannot happen before. If you're a brand new Christian, one of the most common questions that comes in through social media is what is the next major po prophetic event? The next major prophetic event on the calendar of God is an event called the rapture of the church. Now, you'll not find rapture in a modern translation. You'll find it listed in Paul's writings to the church at Thessalonica as the catching up of the bride. So if the word rapture offends you, you can call it the great catching up. 
But the word rapture comes from the Greek rapio. It's where we get the word rapture. And it's the reason why theologically, as a term, it was applied to this next prophetic event. Don't miss this. The rapture prophetically is a signless event. There are no prophetic signs in the Bible that address the specific timing of the rapture. Rather, the scripture says in Matthew 24 and verse 36, no man knows the day nor the hour that the Son of Man will return. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. The Bible goes on to say it will come like a thief in the night. It is a signless event, but the next major prophetic event on the calendar of God is the rapture of the church. Now, the church will not go through the great tribulation. I know that not all agree on that, but I want you to take the time to go to our YouTube channel and listen to a message entitled, Five Reasons Why the Church Cannot Go Through the Great Tribulation. But if we were to read the book of Revelation just in its natural reading and interpret it naturally from the vision given to John, you'll find that the church is mentioned 19 times in Revelation 1, Revelation 2, and Revelation 3. The church is mentioned 19 times. Times, But after Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22, the church is never mentioned again. The great tribulation begins in Revelation chapter 6 and goes through Revelation chapter 19. The church is never mentioned one single time. The second coming of Jesus takes place in Revelation 20. And then we walk into the millennium, a thousand year reign. I have teachings on every single topic pretty much in the book of Revelation to help you with this. But here's what I want you to see tonight. The chronology of what's next is the rapture. The only way you can be ready for the rapture, the Bible says repeatedly, is he's coming for all who are, quote, in Christ. In Christ. It's repeated multiple times. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be a follower of Christ, in the care of Christ, living by the teachings of Christ, obeying the commandments of Christ. And some of you might be a good person, a gracious person, a kind person, but he's not coming back for good, kind, gracious people. He's coming only for those who are in Christ. And so tonight in the moments ahead when I conclude this message and pray, many of you need to come and meet me at this altar. And I'd like to lead you in a sinner's prayer. Now, I receive constantly people who listen to us online. Constantly I receive comments from people who say, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. But that is not true. There is a sinner's prayer in the Bible. I say that because eventually you're going to hear some, thou hast said you will hear some unlettered individual on the internet say, and there are videos, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. No one ever prayed a sinner's prayer in the Bible and so on. And so I put together an entire one-hour teaching that completely ruins that perspective. 
Because the Bible still says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells me that the thief on the cross in the final moments of his life said, if you're really the Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And many other examples. But I'm here to tell you that if you come forward, Jesus said in Luke's gospel, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before God. If you come forward with a sincere heart, and the only reason I lead people in what is oftentimes called a sinner's prayer is because as an evangelist, do you know how many thousands of people I meet in a year who have never prayed, never been to a church, never heard a Bible, and they don't know how to even begin to pray? Didn't Jesus give his own disciples a model prayer when they said in Matthew 6, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, here's how you pray. My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what is oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer, didn't Jesus himself model a prayer for the disciples? I'm telling you that God is gracious. He is not the social media theological police. All who call upon his name from a sincere heart with true repentance of sin shall be saved. Number two, the Bible tells us there's coming a one world government. Where do we see that? Revelation 13, verse 3. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. Highlight those three words in Revelation 13 and 3. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance. To the beast, the whole world will give allegiance to the Antichrist. We know beyond all doubt from the book of Revelation that there will be a globally controlled government with a global leader named the Antichrist. Number three, a one world religion. Now I'm going over this quickly tonight for sake of time. Again, there's an entire series available on this and much teaching available. If you're hungry to learn more, Avail yourself to it. That's how you get smarter. You humbly sit before the Word of God with a tender spirit and ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit to be your mentor. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that God has raised up five ministry giftings to help the church. They are the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. That's why I always tell new converts, when you get saved, you need to find a Bible-believing church with a godly pastor because God raises up ministry gifts who have devoted their lives to studying and properly interpreting Scripture to help you grow in your faith so that you're not listening to a bunch of idiots on YouTube who don't know what they're talking about. Just because you figured out how to go live doesn't mean you should. Number three, a one world religion. I love people in Alaska. You can just go straight down the middle in Alaska and nobody blinks. If I was preaching in Boston, they go, oh dear. Revelation 13 and 4, they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power and they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? That's verse 4. Go down to verses 13 and 14. 
He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. Let me pause long enough before I conclude reading that. Highlight the word deception in Bible prophecy and in the New Testament because the word deceive, the word deceived, past tense, and the word deception are found repeatedly throughout Bible prophecy. That's why we now have politicians who say one thing and do the other. And they constantly say things and do the other. And you can't trust a word out of their mouth because they're masters at deception. And most of them aren't even speaking from the convictions of their heart. They're reading a political agenda on a teleprompter written by powers from other countries that are moving America towards a global one world system. Some of you, the light's coming on as you're listening to Bible prophecy tonight. There's a reason why America has so suddenly headed in the direction that it's headed, which is completely diametrically opposed from the founding father's intent. It's because America, just like every other nation, is caught in the power of biblical prophecy. And the world is not falling apart. The world is falling in place to end time prophecy. And in end time prophecy, and I'll not get into it because it'll be my concluding message on Wednesday night. Don't miss it. America is suspiciously absent from final prophecy. The West is suspiciously absent from Bible prophecy. And final Bible prophecy focuses upon Jerusalem, Israel, the Middle East, and the European nations. Something is going to happen to the West and something is going to happen to America. In the final pages of Bible prophecy, there are only four possibilities biblically through proper scholarship that define that and that will be addressed Wednesday night. What are the four scenarios for America's future? And I'll conclude that message by telling you the scenario that I believe the weight of scholarship is upon. He deceived all the people who belonged to this world and he ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak and then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. You don't need to go to seminary to see a one world religion. During the Great Tribulation, there will be a one-world leader. The Scripture calls him the Antichrist. There will be a one-world government. And thirdly, there will be a one-world religion. Notice that the Bible says that through this one-world religion, he will erect statues of himself. And like all of history, dictators who erect statues of themselves have the master statue erected at the seat of their authority, but they have replicates of that statue placed all over the dominion of wherever their power is entrusted. Isn't it something that for the first time 
in American history, we watched a demonic frenzy of people pulling statues from their historic pedestals and destroying them. And as I'm preaching tonight, they are still trying to tear down historic statues and around this nation, statues that stood being markers of history, good history and bad history, but markers of history stood there uncontested. Why all of a sudden this demonic hatred and the removal of statues across our nation and even around the world? Is it possible that the basis of these Pedestals are awaiting the statues of the Antichrist and the one world religion that will soon come to the face of this earth. Number four, a one world monetary system. Again, you don't have to be a professor at a university to see that almost every decision being made in our nation is destroying our economy. It's almost like people sit in back rooms and say, what decisions can we make that will destroy our economy in the fastest possible way? What can we do to rip out the heart of capitalism from the hearts of the American people? What is it that we can do that will cause private businesses to collapse as quickly as possible? What can we do that will allow global markets to control local economies? And it's almost like every decision that's being made, not only in America but other nations of the world, are decisions made if your goal is to completely put a stake through the heart of the national economy. Revelation 3.16, the Bible says he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything. Again, you don't have to go to seminary for four years to know that's economy. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing to his name. Unknown to many Americans, we do not own nor do we control our own currency. The American currency is owned and operated by an outfit that you have heard of called the Federal Reserve. But the Federal Reserve that makes all of our national decisions, market rates, interest rates, economic decisions, is not owned by an American organization, it's owned by global powers with a vision for a one-world economy. Its monetary policy decisions do not have to be approved by our president, by our Congress, by our House, or by anyone in the executive or legislative branches of the American government. One could even make a case that this pandemic has allowed world financial institutions a tremendous opportunity to strengthen their move towards a global system. One of the things that I've noticed in recent months is when I'm not flying and traveling by interstate, almost all of the toll booths on major interstates in the lower 48 are gone. And they've suddenly been replaced by these large metal structures 
that are arched over the major interstates of the lower 48, and they are covered with technology, facial recognition technology, eye retina technology, license plate technology. Some states actually mail you tickets, speeding tickets, based upon the fact that they had your average speed from the last piece of technology that recorded you to the next piece of technology that recorded you. While you were on Interstate 95 traveling west from mile marker such and such to mile marker such and such, you averaged 74 miles an hour. The speed limit was 65 miles an hour. Enclosed is your ticket for X amount of dollars. The average American is captured on camera over 600 times a day. And even in the beautiful wilderness of Alaska, almost everywhere you go, there are cameras recording your every move. The average citizen in England is recorded on cameras over a thousand times a day. Did you know that the Bible prophesies in the last days they will find no place to hide? Recently, a horrible murder took place of a young couple engaged to be married. The husband returned cross-country without his fiancée, and the world watched on television. Where possibly could she be? Some of the talking heads on the news network said she could be anywhere from point A to point B, and we may never find her body. Not in this day and age. They had her body within a matter of hours, made sure it was her body, and then announced it to the world. And the Bible says in the last days, they will have no place to hide. I close with this. Number five, a one-world military. These are the five political agendas that I've read to you straight from Revelation 13. Now remember... The rapture takes place in Revelation 4 and verse 1. So the church is gone. There's not one mention of the church after Revelation 3 and verse 22. Revelation 4, 1 is the rapture of the church. Revelation 6 is the beginning of the great tribulation. It goes from Revelation 6 to Revelation 19. We are reading out of Revelation 13. So everything that is taking place that I've read to you in these 18 verses takes place during the great tribulation. The Antichrist cannot come to power until the rapture of the church. Where do we see a one-world military or a one-world enforcement in the Bible? It's in Revelation 13 and verse 4. The Bible said they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worship the beast. Who is as great as this beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. There will be a power, whether military or global or United Nations sanctioned, one can only speculate because the Bible is not clear. All the Bible is clear on is that he will enforce his mandates eventually by the threat of death. I close with this. Don't miss it. 
I want you to notice that in the five political agendas, everything is mandated and forced upon the populace. It is not accidental that in recent months, not only Americans, not only Canadians, not only Australians, but the citizens of the world are being conditioned mentally to submit to mandates. We were originally told it will only be by the science, but they deceived us, as I've already mentioned. In the last days, political powers will become more and more deceptive. And when the science disproved their agenda, they then silenced the people who offer the medical proof or the scientific proof. We now live in the United States of America where doctors who have the ability to speak, virologists who have the ability to speak, are not allowed to speak if they do not agree with mandated regulations. I'm not worried about that. I knew it was coming. I've been preaching this for 40 years. There is coming a day when the world is going to be conditioned to submit to mandates whether you like it or not. But between me and you, between now and the rapture, fight like hell. something in Alaska tonight. Listen carefully. Until the rapture of the church, they're not in charge. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge. Our battle is not militarily. Our battle is through prayer. Our battle is through authority. Not to mention, last I checked, the Constitution of the United States of America is still in place and fight like hell until the rapture. Holy men do not take orders from unholy men. You and I are children of the Most High God. And nothing in this Bible says lay down and take it. There is an authority in Christ Jesus. Let me close by giving you the greatest prophecy that Jesus gave. He gave it in Matthew 16. And what Jesus prophesied will come to pass. Here's what he said. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, listen, don't miss this. This is so vitally important as we wrap all this up in this thought process. Yes, the Bible said in the last days things will wax worse and worse. Yes, the Bible prophesied in the last days these five political agendas are not going away. They're headed towards completion in Revelation 13. But though the world is in a descending spiral, the church has been promised an ascension. 
Jesus said, I will build my church. That word build from the original manuscripts implies forward and upward movement. Jesus said the church age. And if you're a new believer, you are living in what is biblically called the church age. When did the church age begin? Because when Jesus prophesied, I will build my church, there had never been a church in history. There was no church. The church began at its inauguration date in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. Every Christian needs to know the theological beginning of the church age. It started in the book of Acts. When does the church age conclude? It concludes with the rapture of the church. From the book of Acts chapter 2 until the rapture of the church, the church will move forward and the church will move upward and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not my promise. That's not my promise. That's the promise of God Almighty. And if God has to enforce it supernaturally, you will see it enforced supernaturally. If fire has to fall from heaven to remove the opponents of that prophecy, you may see it happen. All I know is that the Bible and its prophetic content has never lied and will never lie. And so for that reason... Yes, I'm watching the world in the downward spiral moving towards the five political agendas of Revelation 13. But I'm not a part of that downward spiral. I'm a part of Matthew 16 because I belong to Christ. And as long as I'm attached to the covenant of God, my future is as bright as it ever has been and so is yours. You can stand upon the promises of God and know that he will keep you safe with a holy hedge of protection until the sound of the trumpet. Stand to your feet, and if you believe it and receive it, give Jesus Christ a mighty hand of praise. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.